Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Well, welcome. Here we are, Prophet, Priest, and King, Message 9, Breaking the Chains of Enslavement, Part 2, finishing off what we started last week. Here's the question I have as the young men are passing out those little keys to you. Just hold on to them, and you'll you'll see what you're going to do with them in the end here. Let me ask you a question as we're just getting ready. How do you respond when someone corrects you? How do do you respond to correction? Whether it's a parent, a co-worker, a, a boss... Do you accept it with gratitude and humility, uh, or do you get angry and resentful? Let me give you a story of, uh, you know, we don't want to pick on millennials, so we don't think this is just about millennials, but it might be. Uh, Here's an illustration of a woman. Uh, This is a real tweet that happened of a young woman that's in a work work area, and she's she's a writer. And the woman had sat down with her boss, and they were going over what no writer likes is editing. The the boss was editing her piece that she had written. The boss, who was also a woman, so that's important, so two women are sitting down, and she was giving feedback to this young woman and reviewing the edit she had made on something this woman had wrote. Now, they had been speaking in low tones, but their volume got louder and louder towards the end of the conversation because the young woman was getting very agitated about a particular edit that her boss wanted to make. Now, that particular edit was correcting the spelling of hamster. The young lady had wrote hamster with a P, H-A-M-P-S-T-E-R. Now, for some of you may not know, that's not how you spell hamster. However, she used the phrase like spinning a wheel or uh, spinning in a hamster wheel. She spelled hamster with a P. Well, the young woman kept saying, I don't know why, thank you. Did everyone get a key? All right. The young woman kept saying, I don't know why you corrected that because I spell it with a P in it. The boss said calmly, but that's not how the world is spelled. There is no P in the word hamster. The young woman replied, but you don't know that. I learned to spell it with a P in it, so that's how I spell it. Now, you getting have you ever had this conversation? The boss, remaining very calm and professional, said, let's go to dictionary.com and took it up and, t- and let's look it up together. Now, mind you, this woman is in her late 20s and she's not a fifth grader. The young woman insists she doesn't need to look it up because it's fine to spell it with a P because that's how she wanted to spell hamster. The boss says, well, let's look over the rest of the piece so I can explain the rest of my edits. Uh, they do, and then she can see that the young woman is fighting back tears. The boss is calm, cool, and handles this with professionalism and even empathy towards the young lady. The boss says, I know edits can be difficult to go over sometimes, especially when you're working on new kinds of things as you grow in your career, but it's a necessary process to be corrected, and it makes us all better at what we do. Makes sense, right? Well, the boss gets up from the table and goes to her office, and the young woman can barely hold it together. The, the one who's, who's writing this as she uh, considers her. She moves to another table, the young lady, into the common workspace, workspace area. She drops all of her stuff loudly on the tabletop, and she begins to text. A minute later, her, fo- her phone rings, and it's her mom. That's who she'd been texting. 
She bursts into tears and he, she wants her mom to call her boss and tell her not to be mean towards her about how she spells the word hamster. The mother tells her that her boss is an idiot and she doesn't have to listen to her. And she should go to her boss's boss to file a complaint about not allowing creativity in her writing. The young woman kept saying, I thought what I wrote was perfect. And she just made all these changes. And then she had the nerve to tell me I was spelling words wrong when I know that they are right because that's how I've always spelt them. Some people handle criticism better than others. This is an interesting one, but we all struggle many times, whether we're wrong or not. And many times we just continue to say, no, we're right when we know that we're wrong. Last week we read that King Ahab breaks the mold of depravity. He's even worse than Jeroboam, who actually started Israel onto the road to idol worship. We see that they have forsaken the God of their ancestors. And from scriptures, Ahab's wickedness, we saw, was propelled by two influences, one from without and one from within. We saw the first one is that is that is he was incited by his wife to a greater sense of wickedness, reminding us what 1 Corinthians says when Paul writes, do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. People from our friends and our families and others around us can corrupt us and incite us to wrongdoing. You and I know this many times, this happens. But also we saw that he was also, also, also I can't even speak, he was also enticed by his own evil, wicked heart. He was enslaved to his own evil desires. When we said that, they, when we saw in verse 25 of 1 Kings 21, hopefully you're there, and in verse 25 it says, there was none who sold himself to do what was evil like Ahab. Jesus had warned, truly, truly, I say to everyone who practices sin is enslaved to in sin. And you and I must realize, and that's something that we have to share with others, who many times believe that they're not enslaved, but they're free to do what they want. That's the libertarian, not, not, not in the political sense, but in a sense a libertine uh, type of mindset in which I can do whatever I want as long as I don't hurt anyone else. But the Bible says one who practices sin is a slave to sin. James, who also says, for whatever comes a person, to that is enslaved. So many of us who are Christians, we believe that we are free from sin. And yes, that's what scripture says. But yet we go back and we willingly enslave ourselves as we continue to make friends with our sin and put it to tribute, thinking that we are in control. However, we learned last week as a matter of view that the end result of enslavement to desires and sin was found in James where he says, but each person is tempted when, his, uh, when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. And then desires, when it is conceived, gives birth to what? Sin. And when sin is fully grown, it leads to death. However, we concluded last week that there is hope. And that's the wonderful thing about the Christian religion, so to speak, the Christian faith. It's the only one who truly gives hope. And the hope is not found within ourselves or within a system or with some type of, of uh, earthly savior, but it's, it's found in one who is the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. There's hope for those that are enslaved in the chains of sin, that are captured by their desires and passions. There is hope that is found in the gospel, not in our own motivation, not only in our own behaviors or, 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 or behavior adjustments, 
But the good news of the gospel we find is that it frees us from our enslavement and enables us not only to resist uh, outside influences of Satan and others, but it also changes the inward desires that still haunt us in our sanctification journey. As believers, we are now set free and we must continue to fight against this old body of flesh that barks at us to, to, to join once again in that which we no longer desire. God has promised to help us in that great battle by giving us a way of escape to pray for us and to empower us to resist the Holy Spirit. And that's where we ended last week, is you and I are no longer enslaved to sin. We are free to resist that sin and to say yes to Christ. He changes not only our, our, our friends as, and our desires, but He changes us in from the inside. But how do we get this power? How do you and I become sons of God to enjoy this freedom, to break the chains of this enslavement? But we see part of the answer in this second conversation, the one that we just spoke of last week, and that's the one between Yahweh and Elijah. In verse 27 of 1 Kings 21, turn to there, King Ahab responds unexpectedly to Elijah's prophecy that he, Jezebel, and his family will meet an awful death. It's here on the monitor, but again, it's also in your Bible, 1 Kings 21, 27. And what we read is that when Ahab heard those words, the words of Elijah from Yahweh. He tore his clothes and he put sackcloth on his flesh and he fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. So Father, just give us wisdom as we consider this passage. Let your spirit have free reign. Let us understand what you have for us. And I pray that you would move and grab a hold of our hearts this morning, shake our very inward being to the core Father, that we may see whether or not we're still enslaved, overcome by uh, sins and desires and passions of the flesh. Father, that we may be free and free indeed to live the life that you've called us to do. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Which leads us to point number three. The first point was we saw Ahab's descent into wickedness was incited by his wife. Number two, Ahab's demise is directly related to his enslavement to his own evil desires. So as we went to number three from last week, Ahab seems to humble his heart and to demonstrate repentance. In other words, Ahab responds to Yahweh's judgment with what seems like an outward and inward repentance. We get this from his actions. He, he tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth. He, he fasted, went without food, and then he, he grieved. These actions were typical actions of repentance in the Jewish culture. John the Baptist called for this in Luke chapter 3, verse 8, when he preached, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Now you may ask, well, what is repentance? Let me give you from an old theologian named Ben Keach. It's here on the monitor. He writes that repentance unto life is a saving grace, whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of mercy of God in Christ doth with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience. So there's, there's a, a change of direction. There's a change of heart that is demonstrated outwardly. So it seems at this point that Ahab is humbling his heart and repenting. Now, there's two things that you and I must know about repentance. These are not on the monitors. You can write them down if you want. This first one is that repentance is not something that comes from you, but is a gift from God. Repentance is a gift 
from God. Second <clears throat> Timothy chapter 2, 24 says this, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with uh, gentleness, that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of truth, and that they may come to their senses, escape from the snare of devil after being captured by him. So repentance is a gift from God. We're singing that song, God's grace, wondrous, infinite, marvelous grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. That's the grace that he gives. And that's a repentance. It's a repentance, a turning, an acknowledgement, an, an awareness of who God is. Not only is repentance a gift from God, but the second thing that you need to understand is that God's kindness towards sinners is what leads us to repentance. Paul writes in Romans chapter 2, verse 2, when he says, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Speaking of turning from God to having a depraved mind and heart. But he goes on to say in verse 3, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such sins and yet do them yourselves? How do you judge those that you in what you do? He says that you will escape this judgment of God. Or do you presume, he says in verse 4, on the riches of kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So repentance is a gift from God, and it's his kindness that leads us. In other words, we ask, why is it that we said several weeks ago, why is it that God's justice is not done immediately? Well, it's because he's given his kindness. It's his desire that his kindness will lead to repentance. Now, sometimes God does judge, and he judges immediately. Sometimes that's to the death. Sometimes that's just suffering. But in all of that, it is to lead us to repentance. Now, here's the thing that I want to talk about. How is it that you and I break these chains of enslavement? How do we break it, whether it's from uh, in, outside influences that we've allowed into our life, or even just the, the sin that still, the evil desires that still dwell in us? How do we break that from? Well, I want you to grab your key, and as you look at the monitor, you're going to see this, is that the key to breaking the chains of enslavement, sins, and desires, and passions is repentance. And I want you to think of that. Take this key, put it on your key ring, bring it with you, and remember this. The thing that you need to break this is repentance. That's the key to breaking the chains of enslavement. You and I need something from without, from without us to open that door, to open that key to God's kindness and to that gift. And repentance is that key. Repentance was the message of the Old Testament prophets along with John the Baptist, Jesus, and the apostles. And I'd have to share you, it's our message today. John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3 said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus in Matthew 4 said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Peter, at his first message after Christ's ascension, said, Repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. And then Paul, near the end of Acts, in the middle of Acts, in chapter 17, says that the times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. There are many today that would say that repentance has no place in the modern church. That's just for the Jews of Jesus' time and, the Jew, and for those after the rapture. 
But let me share with you, repentance is still the key that you and I need. He says, why do we need to repent? Because God has fixed on a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, speaking of Jesus, whom he appointed. And of this, he has given us assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The key that people need for their life is not some type of motivational trick or some type of motivational speech, not a self-help guru, but not a political or a social influence, but they need the key of repentance. And that's what you and I are called to give to those that we love. It's the gift that we give to ourselves through Christ is the key to repentance. So you and I have to understand that God calls all to repentance, to turn from dead works and to embrace the works of Christ on our behalf. Now what's interesting is that when you and I repent, that moves God into action. And even more surprisingly, we're going to see that that moves God when it comes to Ahab. Look at verse 29 of 1 Kings chapter 21. And we see how God responds to Ahab's repentance. He says, have you seen, this is Yahweh speaking to Elijah. He says, have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Well, what's that humbleness? Well, we saw it when he repented, when he shows those outward uh, conditions. And because he has humbled himself before me, Yahweh promises, I will not bring disaster in his days, but in his son's days, I will bring disaster upon his house. Now, God accepts Ahab's humbleness and demonstration of repentance and delays his judgment against him and his family. Now, he isn't ignoring their rebellion and wickedness. One day they were going to stand before him. But he only delays this judgment until Ahab dies. He is spared. What is happening here is because Ahab humbles himself, he is spared from witnessing the destruction of his family, his wife, his children, and his legacy. He still faces judgment. In chapter 22, the one next to it, you can read of Ahab's death in battle. And I encourage you, we won't be looking at that ourselves in any detail. But we see that God spares him from having to witness the destruction that he himself has caused. Now, the question you and I have to ask is, was Ahab's repentance genuine? And see, that's where you and I have to understand. Because there is a repentance that is genuine, and then there's a repentance that is not. My take would be it was not genuine. Yes, God, he did humble his heart. He did do some outward appearances. God did accept that. However, quoting Liam Gallagher, there's two things that point out that his repentance was not genuine, or at least not long-lasting. First, we see that he didn't restore Naboth's reputation or his land to his family, or did he take any action against Jezebel or the two false witnesses or cowardly elders of Naboth that brought this? Remember, we talked about the death of the innocent Naboth earlier. He also continued to consult false prophets, and you'll see that in chapter 22, and to revile and try to ignore the true prophets of God in verse 22. But God eases Ahab's punishment, probably to encourage Ahab to keep, to keep repentant and seeking mercy from the Lord. Remember, his kindness is meant to lead us, but yet we see that he squandered this final opportunity. It was like the last straw, so to speak. 
So if we see that this demonstration of repentance brought him a reprieve, but it didn't bring him salvation, the question we have to ask is, then what is true repentance? And this becomes very clear today as, I won't go into a big story of it, but there's a big um, evangelical uh, celebrity who just made an Instagram thing. He's getting divorced and he's leaving his wife, his family. He's leaving the ministry and now he's leaving the Christian faith. It's just a sad story. And we think, what happens here? This, this man wrote a very big book, several large books that were very popular. He pastored a large church, but he says, if any, if I have any definition of being a Christian, I am no longer a Christian. How do we know then when someone is truly repented? Or I would ask the question, how do we know that we've truly repented? If you're like me, there may be times where you've struggled with the, with the assurance of your salvation. And you say, I've repented, but yet how do I know that I truly am repented? What, what if I'm like Ahab? How can I have the key? I, I'm still struggling in my sin. How can we truly know? Where did King Ahab go wrong? I'd like for you to take your Bible and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, if you would. The Apostle Paul gives us an answer. As he explains to us what true, genuine repentance is and what is false repentance. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to look at verse 9. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. In 1 Corinthians, it was kind of a really, it's kind of him taking them to task for many of the sins that they were doing, from the Lord's Supper to how they're treating one another, sin that was still in the body. And so he calls them the task. And then when it comes to 2 Corinthians, he's now writing, for those of you who might remember our series in 2 Corinthians, he's now writing to encourage them and to bring them back to the faith. He had called them to repentance in 1 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, we find that they have. And in verse 9 of chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this, As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved. In other words, they grieved because of his letter. But because, and look at this, you were grieved into what? Repenting. For you felt a godly grief. You may want to underline that, highlight, circle that. So that you suffered no loss through us. Now here's verse 10 is the key. And you may, this is something you want to get a hold of. You need to underline this verse. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to what? Salvation without regret. Whereas, now here's the key. This is what we're seeing from King Ahab. A worldly grief that produces death. So there is a godly grief that reproduces repentance that leads to life. And there is a godly grief, a god, or a, a world, or a, well, I'm sorry, a, a worldly grief that produces death. Look at verse 11. For you see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment, exclamation point. In other words, there is some demonstration in their repentance. It brings this eagerness, this indignation, this fear, a longing, a zeal. At every point, you have proved yourself innocent in the matter. 
What we learn here is that King Ahab only had a worldly grief or what you might say a world, yours may say a worldly sorrow. It's a sorrowful judgment against him, but it did not mean a changed heart towards God. And so for the rest of this message, what I'm going to give you is five marks of repentance by J.C. Ryle. We're indebted to him. And what I'd like to give you is an, is an extended quote before we get into these five marks from 2 Corinthians. J.C. Ryle marks, Repentance is a thorough change of a person's natural heart upon the subject of sin. We are all born in sin. Mark that down. We are all born into sin. We naturally love sin. We take to sin as soon as we can act and think, just as a bird takes to flying and the fish takes to swimming. There was never what, there never was a child that required schooling or education in order to learn deceitfulness, selfishness, passion, self-will, gluttony, pride, and foolishness. You and I know this. These are not things picked up from bad companions or gradually learned by a long course of tedious instruction. They spring up of themselves even, even when uh, boys and girls are brought up alone. The seeds of them are evidently the natural product of the heart. We are born in sin, created in sin. The aptitude of all children to these evil things is unanswerable proof of the corruption and fall of man. Now, when this heart of ours, he goes on to say, is changed by the Holy Spirit, when this natural love of sin is cast out, then takes place that change with the word of God calls repentance. The person in whom the change is created is said to repent. They may be called in one word, a repented person. Now, I would probably call that two words, but I understand what he's trying to say there. And so the question comes, do you and I have a true Godly sorrow and grief for sin. Has repentance been really marked in our hearts and our lives? And that's the question that we must ask. For you may say, well, I'm still struggling with sin. Why do I find holiness so hard to grasp? And that's part of our sanctification journey. If you have sin in your life, does not mean that you haven't repented and you're not a Christian. But what we need to see is that, that thing, those things that overcome us still enslave us. And so repentance, again, is the key to help us in that type of life to be free. So let me give you these five marks. The first one is true repentance begins with a knowledge of sin. True repentance begins with a knowledge of sin. The eyes of a repented person are opened for the very first time. They see with dismay and confusion the length and breadth of God's holy law and the extent and the enormous extent of their own transgressions. So it's when we see for the very first time how holy God is and how sinful we are. We grasp or we at least begin to understand, begin to grasp the, the great uh, void or vast gap between us. They discover to their, to their surprise that in thinking themselves that they are a good sort of person, that they are a person with a good heart, that they have been under a huge delusion. They believe that the word hamster is still spelled with a P. And that's how many people are. Well, God wouldn't send me to hell. I'm, I'm a good person. I haven't done much wrong. You can tell that's not a heart of a repentant person. It's the words of a man who might say, I have nothing to ask God 
for forgiveness for. They find out that in reality they are wicked and that they are guilty and they're corrupt and they're evil in God's sight. The pride breaks them down and they see that their self-righteousness is nothing but vanity. Their high thoughts about themselves melt away and they see that they are a great sinner in need of a great Savior. That's the first step, is that it begins with a knowledge of sin. The second is true repentance produces a sorrowful sin as we just spoke about. The heart of a repentant person is touched with deep remorse because of their past transgressions. They are cut to the heart to think that they have lived so madly and so wickedly, J.C. Rouse writes. He says they mourn over time wasted, over talents misspent, over God dishonored, over their own soul being injured. The remembrance of these things is grievous to them. The burden of these things is sometimes almost intolerable. Costi Hinn writes that remorse is feeling sad because sin has caught up with you. That is a worldly grief, a worldly sin, a worldly sin. Oh, I, I just feel sorry now my, my, the consequences of my actions have caught up with me. But he writes that repentance is a broken heart that is eager to surrender. It's one who raises the white flag and says, no more, God save me. It's the words of uh, the Apostle Paul who said, I am the chiefest of sinners. Who will save me from this man of sin? So that's the key. And you and I know the difference between a worldly sorrow that's just sorry and one who is truly repentant and sorrowful for who they are and what they've done. Thirdly, true repentance produces a confession of sin. And here's what I need to say about this. This is where these two go hand in hand. As in many times we say a confession, Lord, I'm sorry I did this. I'm sorry I did that. Just that we may say that to somebody else, but in reality, we truly aren't sorrowful. We're just kind of sorry we got caught. We're sorry that the consequences, we're sorry at the punishment that, that we may have to pay or others, but it doesn't really bring in a true sorrow. Confession is more than just saying, I'm sorry. Confession is seeing your sin in the same way that God sees sin. We see this in Psalms 51. If you ever want to read that, there you'll see a true repentive heart as David is, is cast uh, down because of his sin with Bathsheba. He says, against you and only you I have sinned. And you might think, wait a second, didn't he sin against Bathsheba, who he took to his bed? Did he not sin against Uriah, whose wife it was? Did he not sin against Uriah, but having him murdered? How about, uh, how about Joab, who he, who he, uh, his general, who he said, put Uriah in place so he could die? What about the son that they had, whose life was taken because of that sin? But confession realizes that sin truly is a rebellion against God. Confession of sin is more than I'm just sorry, Lord. It's understanding that it was a high rebellion against an almighty God. And it's not hiding anything back, but it's just exposing and saying, I confess it. This is who I am. Father, I just lay myself. Lord, have mercy on me. Number four, true repentance repentance produces a breaking off then 
from that sin. The life of a repentant person is altered. The course of their daily conduct is entirely changed. A new king reigns within their heart. They have put off the old man. What God commands, they now desire to practice. What God forbids, they now desire to avoid. Now let me say, this does not mean that you and I are totally, just completely free and we no longer will struggle with sin. Yes, we will. But there is an inward change in our heart. There's a new desire. We strive in all our ways to keep clear of sin, to fight with sin, to war with sin, to get the victory over sin. We cease to do evil. That's the true repentive heart. We learn to do well. We break off sharply from bad ways and bad companions. It causes us to make difficult decisions, tough decisions about who we hang with, about what we watch, by what we do. We labor, even as feebly, he writes, to live a new life. This is the mark of a true, genuine convert. One who breaks off for them sin, sees it for what it is, and says, I don't want anything to do with this sin, which leads us to the fifth one. It produces a deep hatred of sin. And here I think it's the last step that you and I need, is we don't have a deep hatred of sin. We still enjoy our sin, or at least the pet sins. The one that we try to keep kind of under wrap, the tribute the ones that we bring out when we really need it, when we're depressed or lonely or tired. I need these things. But it produces in the heart a subtle habit of deep hatred of all sin, recognizing it goes against its creator. It becomes habitually holy. We pursue the things of God. We abhor that which is evil, and we cleave to that which is good, as Romans tells us. We delight in the law of God, as David says. We come short of their own desires, not unfrequently, but we find ourselves a principle in which we're warring against the spirit of the flesh. They find themselves cold when they would be hot, backwards when they would be forwards, heavy when we lively in God's service. We become sensitive to the sin that's in us. We're deeply conscious of our own infirmities and we groan under a sense of our indwelling corruption. And isn't that the rub? We have that deep hatred of sin, but yet it still barks at us and we still turn an ear at its call. And like a dog who's distracted by a squirrel, we find ourselves looking at it, considering it, and even making our way towards it. But a true repentant heart is one who is sorrow for sin, has a confession of sin, has a breaking off, and has a deep hatred of sin. In summarizing these five marks, J.C. Rowell says this, True repentance is never alone in the heart of any person. It always has a companion, a blessed companion. See, repentance is a gift from God, but it's only one side of the coin. The second part of that coin is faith. See, it's not enough to repent, to turn from our sin, but what you and I need to do is fill that void with something much greater and wonderful. And that's a turning and a trust to Jesus Christ. It's recognizing that I'm going to have a hatred for sin. I'm going to have a hatred for these evil desires. But yet now I need to fill that void with something that is wonderful, beautiful, and tastes good. As the scripture says, uh, taste and see that God is good. 
So must you and I not only repent, but we need to take that repentance and turn and put our faith in Christ. King Ahab, he had a humbleness of heart, but not a true, genuine repentance. He had the marks of repentance outwardly, but yet there was no staying power. He could not get rid of it. God granted him just a portion, but not enough to save his soul. You and I need that faith. If you're here this morning, I pray that you would turn from your sin and turn and put your trust in Christ. Look at the screen. There's a word of challenge from Pastor Sam Storms out of Oklahoma. He writes that there is no holiness or Christian life that does not have repentance at its core. Repentance is not merely one element in, con in conversion, but here's what you and I need to understand. This is why I say that repentance is a key because it's a habitual attitude and action to which all Christians are called for. For you and I, our sanctification journey, where we're walking to become freer from sin and more like Christ, we still need this key of repentance. The most important dimension, he writes, in godly repentance is a fundamental alteration in one's thinking with regard to what is sin and what God requires of us in terms of both our thoughts and actions. So you are and I are still here as Christians, as believers. We're still assaulted by those evil desires. We're still assaulted by the outside influences. But you and I need to understand that it's a part and parcel of our life. But well, also, here's just a side note, and this is just another note if you're taking notes, is repentance is undergirded or strengthened by a spirit of humility. Repentance is undergirded by a spirit of humility. You cannot uh, be prideful and have repentance. Pride is the original sin of Satan, of Adam and Eve, and so on and so forth. Our desire to be the boss leads us to a life of rebellion against our creator. It's that voice that says, I don't care what my boss says. He's an idiot. If I want to spell hamster with a P, then I can do that. And you and I do that all the time with God. I know God's word says this. I know God's word wants me to do that. But yet God knows that this is how I spell it. This is how I do it. This is why the way I'm going to live my life. And we have many people in our lives that will just tell us, yeah, your boss is stupid. Do what you want to do. Until our hearts are humbled, you and I can never reach God in repentance. The Holy Spirit teaches us through the scriptures that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to what? The humble. Once again, Pastor Sam Storms summed up repentance when he writes here on the monitor. True repentance then begins when a Christian is enabled by God's gracious power to transition out of self-delusion, or what modern psychologists might call denial, into what the Bible describes as a heartfelt conviction of sin. This in turn leads to abandonment of self-centered disobedience, and is replaced by a God-centered life in which the Savior is honored, His people are served, and His revealed word is obeyed. The key for you and I to freedom is found in a repentance 
and a turning towards Christ. For you and I to break that enslavement, you need repentance. So if you're here this morning and you're a non-believer, you have never turned towards Christ. You've never submitted to the Lordship of Christ. And I call you this morning to repent of your dead sins. And what I mean by that phrase is you need to recognize that whatever you're doing to make yourself right with God is insufficient. It's futile. It will not work. For all is sin and comes short of the glory of God. And God's kindness in life and giving you another day of breath, of giving your heartbeat another beat, is to lead you to Him. And I would call you to that repentance, to recognize that you cannot be good enough. You cannot be born in the right place. You cannot give enough to earn His forgiveness. You must repent and turn and trust that all that Christ has done on our behalf, that God has accepted, and that He could bring you into His life. Would you repent today and put your trust in Him? For that's the only way to break the chains of enslavement and to be a child of God. It's the only way to be delivered from this enslavement of sin. But if you're a believer here this morning, and you have at one time uh, committed yourself to Christ, you say, I, I repented of my sin, and I turn and trust in Christ, but yet I'm still struggling in, struggling in my life. I find myself overcome by sin, and I can feel the, the, the chains of enslavement, and, it, and it's becoming heavy, it's becoming exhausting then I would ask you to humble your heart. Once again, take that key of repentance and make that a disciplined daily habit of your life of turning towards Him. Waking up and saying, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. Father, help me, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me. Jesus, pray for me. Jesus, send the Holy Spirit to strengthen me. Give me a greater love for Your Word to have that attitude of repentance, of confession, of seeing sin for what it truly is, turning away for it, away from it, and recognizing that there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Now the thing is, Paul wrote that after saying that he was the chiefest of sinners and said, who will deliver me from this body of death? He recognized that Christ does. So you have a hope that's found in Christ, but yet, the daily habit, the grace gift of repentance is a daily, if not an hourly, moment, moment by moment heart condition. I would call you to that this morning to live a lifelong practice of repentance, of humility, and confession. With every head bowed and every head closed, I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come up this time. As we just take a moment to pause and consider what Christ has given us through His Word as the Holy Spirit works in each and every heart. And you would pray and you'd ask, God, how should I respond to Your Word? Maybe it's repentance and coming to Christ for the very first time. If it is, I pray that you do so. Come to me, Randy, Landon. We'd love to show you from Scripture how you know that you have eternal life. Scripture says that today is the day of salvation. Do not delay, for you do not know what tomorrow holds forth. You don't know what the rest of this day holds forth. But for the Christian 
who may be struggling with sin, who may be feeling that they're back on their heels or maybe that they're already down and out. Remember that Christ loves you. He gave his life for you. And even now he's praying for you, sending his Holy Spirit to comfort and to guide you to repentance, humility, and confession. Would you do so this morning, embracing all that God has done for you? Father, we just thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your gift of repentance and of faith. And I pray that you would just grant everyone here this morning a great measure of humility and repentance. Let us hear that call. And I pray that our lives will be marked by true, genuine um, repentance. That we may glorify you. That we may be free from these besetting sins that so easily tear us down. Break us free. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.